how to get a TEDx talk. So that's that's one of the things that I've, I, I end up getting a, a lot of questions about is, is authors come to me and they say, hey, I don't just want to be an author. I want to be a speaker and I want to use my book to get speaking gigs. I want to publish this book. I want you to help me write it, but I also want you to help me get a, a TEDx talk. So I've ghostwritten TEDx speeches and then worked with TEDx speakers who also have a book that's that's come out or that is coming out. And the thing about the, any TED or TEDx platform that's somewhat different from a typical keynote or a speech, and this, this is how I, I got mine, this is how I helped other people get theirs, it's a very simple thing. Why are you the right person to give this talk right now? And that's our guest right from the middle of today's episode. Hey, if you haven't met before, it's me, Karthik. And on the show, I sit down with the most creative and disruptive thinkers, entrepreneurs, and artists from around the globe. Now, if you consider yourself an unconventional thinker or a rebel, welcome home. By the way, if this is the first time that you're listening to this show, do consider subscribing. Just head over to designyourthinking.com slash subscribe and stay on top of every episode that comes out. But before we jump into the core and the meat of this episode today and introduce you to our special guest, I wanted to tell you how much I missed being with you in the past four weeks. I had a personal emergency with my granny passing away and I just could not get back to the editing desk in, you know, soon enough. But I'm really happy to be back now and I'm super happy you've been waiting too. It's almost Thanksgiving and November is also celebrated as the National Novel Writing Month. So if you are a Remo or you participated in the Nano Remo Challenge or someone who's been who's about to publish a book, this episode is going to be something you may want to bookmark. Our guest went all on with sharing tips, strategies and uh, a, a ton of value in terms of how you can go about writing your book, promoting your book, and effectively using it as a way to grow your brand and business. Our guest today is Joshua Lysak. He is a certified professional ghostwriter. He has written over 80 books for some of the biggest authors and brands internationally. He is a TEDx speaker and has been recommended by, again, some of the biggest names in the world, including Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Joshua Lysak. Hello, Karthik. I'm glad to be here with you today. From the DYT Studios, it's the Design Your Thinking podcast, a show about creators, entrepreneurs, and non-conformists, and the stories behind the decisions they made that completely changed the future of their lives and businesses. And now your host, Karthik. Joshua, tell us something about yourself that uh, most people don't know. That's something that you've never had a chance to share so far. Yes, yes. So uh, one thing that I haven't uh, publicized—it's outside from the outside of the professional world—it's actually a uh, personal. I am the twelfth great grandson of a famous uh, Native American chief. There's actually a, there's a massive monument to him in Columbus here in Ohio, near where I live. Um, he was instrumental in the um, the fact that my state, Ohio, actually became a state. He was kind of a, uh, a, a, I guess you could say, an early incarnation of Martin Luther King Jr. because he believed that people of all races and and back backgrounds could live together peacefully. And that, of course, is ultimately what led to his death. Uh, he was murdered at the order of the famous Shawnee Chief Tecumseh in 1810. And Joshua realized all of this very recently when his mother passed away. We were going through some old documents uh, in her mother's attic, and we found documents going back 200 years, um, showing us all of this information. And the fact that we, that my brother and I were the were the twelfth were the twelfth great great grandsons 
of uh, of this of this famous man who's been written about in textbooks. There's a painting of him at the State House uh, in Columbus. You know, my brother and I we we we'd known who he was because everyone in this area grows up knowing about the Native Americans who lived there. And there's monuments to him, and and it was quite uh, quite incredible knowing that uh, my, my brother and I were were the twelfth twelfth great grandsons, and of course now my own son Wesley, he's the thirteenth great grandson of uh, of this man who went by the name uh, Leatherlips was his name according to the, uh, the the Ohio settlers at the time because his word was as strong as leather. Wow, that must have been quite a discovery. In what way has this uh, whole revelation impacted you as a person? I would have to say it's given me a, uh, a, a boldness about me because when I think back to this, this man's legacy, what he was going to do, he he was willing to die at the hands of the haters for what he believed. <laughs> and you look at so many so many of us nowadays. We're like, oh, should I should I hit send on that tweet? Should I say that on that interview? Should I put that in my book? And so my authors, I guess you could say, they get to borrow my boldness uh, because so many authors I find when they're working on that first draft, they censor themselves, they hold themselves back, they say. I, I might I might anger somebody. I don't want to say that, or well, that's kind of offensive, or oh, I don't want to be controversial. But I know, but I say no, be controversial, be willing to be offensive, because if you're speaking the truth, the truth offends someone. Even if you're writing about digital marketing or graphic design, there's going to be somebody who you anger, and you have to be willing to do that. So now you call yourself a ghostwriter. Can you help us understand exactly what a ghostwriter does? What do you do as a ghostwriter? Sure thing. So what is a ghostwriter? Well, a ghostwriter is somebody who works with an author, a designer, somebody who has a message, but they either don't have the time to spend, you know, getting up at 5 a.m. every day and staring at a blank Word document for five hours. Uh, <laughs> or, or they maybe they're not the best writer in the world and they have trouble kind of unscrambling all their thoughts and then putting them into a coherent, coherent place. But they have a reason to get their message out there. I work with everyone from your A-list celebrities, your household names, entrepreneurs, on down to people who they just want to share their story. I got, in fact, I got an email from someone late last night who saw one of my tweets about book writing, and he sent me almost a novel length <laughs> rundown of his story. He wants to share his story. He had some unique experiences in his life. He's by no means a public figure. He's retired into private life, but he wants to put it all down in a memoir, maybe do a little speaking tour about it at some of his favorite bookshops in his part of the uh, country. So I do a little bit of everything for everyone. And the reason why someone hires a ghostwriter um, is not only because they maybe don't have the time or the the you know the, the knack for writing, it's because they don't necessarily know how to write a professional industry standard book. Like anyone can you know put fifty thousand words together. It might be difficult, but is anyone going to want to read it? Are you writing about the right things? Are you putting the words in the right places? <laughs> Little things like that that can trip up authors for years and years. In fact, I have one author um, out of uh, Brazil that I'm working with now. He's been trying to write his book for 30 years uh, before he found me. And now, of course, it's 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 been done in you know less than five uh, less than five months, getting his his manuscript done, ready to go. And of course, he's very very happy with it. So, frankly, the reason why someone hires a ghostwriter. It's not just to write their book, it's to write the best version of their book. Have you always been a ghostwriter? Interestingly enough, no. As I mentioned, Karthik, I'm a, a published novelist. When I was a, a youngster, uh, a kid, I had it as my dream to one day become a published novelist, kind of a lifetime ambition. And there I am at the ripe old age of 20 with a two-book publishing deal. So as I'm going about promoting my books, speaking on panels, signing books, taking selfies with my fans, it just so happens that around that time, I'd started a freelance writing business. And I had some copywriting clients writing product descriptions, search engine optimizing, blog posts, etc. And And what, it was interesting because my corporate clients, they found out about these books that I'd been writing, these, these novels. They checked them out. Multiple people came to me and they said, Joshua, I have to tell you. I didn't expect that I would like this because it's fiction, but it's past midnight. I'm 50 pages in. I'm not quite sure how you did that, but I'm hooked on the story. Please do the same for me. To which I say, what are you talking about? At the time, I had no idea that ghostwriting was even a thing. 
And they say, well, can you help me write my book? It's not, it's not fiction, but it's my story. And I want to share my story of how I became successful in this industry, share some of the pitfalls that future uh, up-and-comers and the breakout stars of tomorrow can avoid. Will you help me? At first, like an idiot, I said no. But ultimately, there was one particular um, uh, serial entrepreneur and investor who kept uh, pestering me. It was friendly pestering, of course. And I finally gave in and said, yes, okay, fine, I'll help you with your book. And I've been saying, yes, okay, fine, I'll help you with your book ever since. So as I see, you have done your Bachelor's of Arts in 2012. And just before that, you did an Associate of Arts in Communication Arts. Now, I'm curious what fascinated you about communication so much that you chose to you know pick that for a career i was the kid who got lost at the library when we would go to the library during the summer when school was off i, I was that that youngster who oh where's joshua oh he disappeared <laughs> he disappeared into the the, the in, in one of the aisles um versus you know oh, okay this is this you know reading a picture book that was fun for five minutes um but i was the guy who was reading you know, the uh, the nonfiction section, really enjoying myself and learning as much as I could. I was homeschooled. And so when you're homeschooled, your learning is more so self-directing. You can kind of explore whatever you please. So when I was a young teenager, I, I always say that my hobby, you know, most most people hobby, they're, they're out looking for, <laughs> they're out looking, looking for boyfriend or girlfriend or out, you know, causing trouble on the streets. My hobby as a youngster was reading the entire Encyclopedia Americana. A through Z, I believe 27 volumes. I'd go down, you know, down to the basement every night where we had this big bookshelf, and I'd start at A and just read everything. This guy found it so fascinating, and also because I was a complete nerd, <laughs> as I'm sure maybe some uh, some folks out there you can relate to that that kind of uh, thirst for knowledge. And now my my thirst for knowledge takes the form of genuine curiosity that I have with my clients. Tell you, tell me about your story. Why did you make that decision? Uh, why should someone adopt this framework? What's wrong with what they're doing now? Why should they read this chapter? You know, that's sort of that's sort of an innate curiosity I bring to every project, and it helps kind of tease out from an author not just what they wanted to say, but what they want to say, the version of how they should say that. And so, after writing two fiction books, Joshua moved on to writing nonfiction, and uh, he's written well over forty of them, from marketing to health and wellness. Uh, he's covered pretty much a lot of categories. Joshua, you have, a, I'm sure, have a good reason to keep doing what you're doing with nonfiction, I suppose. Now, I think what's what's really gotten me here and, and really enjoying myself in the world of nonfiction books is the fact that every, even nonfiction books, where it's you're, you're sharing information, every book is a story. In fiction, there's a protagonist, right? It's the main character. In nonfiction, you, the reader, are the main character. You are the protagonist. And so it's the author's job to take you on the hero's journey, where you go from where you are to where you want to be. This is obvious in worlds like, let's say, alternative therapy, where maybe your book is about CBD oil, which is becoming wildly popular here in North America for all sorts of inflammatory uh, ailments and sorry, yeah, inflammation and, and diseases and whatnot. And so if you're writing a, you're writing a book on CBD, well, then it's your job to introduce people to the plant and it's to take them from where they are, where they are, which is, you know, so maybe suffering from arthritis, for example, or having trouble sleeping or anxiety to where they want to be, which is rested, peaceful and energized. And it's through your book, you are going to help them get there. So it's a, it's an obvious journey. You're writing a book on entrepreneurship. You're taking them from confused and disorganized to organized and successful and feeling like they're in control of their business. It is a clear before and after. If the book doesn't do that, it just shares your story or just conveys information about a topic, it's not a book that gives people hope. There's too many self-promotional books out there that are just designed to build up people's egos or say, hey, I wrote a book. Ha ha. Look at my book. You know, no one actually wants to read it just because it's kind of the author touting their own uh, their own credibility, for example. But what you want to do is give people hope that it can be better and that you are the one who is going to make it so. And does this work for biographies as well? 
Interestingly enough, there is a clever way to make a memoir an inspiring book. That was one of the first book projects that I've worked on, and I've done several since then, where the, the objective of the memoir is to extract useful lessons from the author's life story. And maybe it's like, okay, a famous example might be Stephen Covey. His memoir, which you might have heard of, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Wait a second, that's not a memoir. Oh, isn't it though? It's stories from Stephen's life and his experiences. It just so happens that it's packaged as a useful self-help book. Same with some of the great classics like How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's basically Dale Carnegie's autobiography, except it's exciting, it's useful, and it sold tens of millions of copies. So that's how a memoir showing your stories can become useful. You know, sharing your seven lessons, your 12 principles. And that's what I do with authors who want to write their biography, but they want people to actually buy it. So Joshua, you do a lot of ghostwriting these days. Can you take us back to your first gig? How, how did it all come about? Yes, yes. So it was it was one of the uh, one of the clients uh, who found out about my novels. I think uh, I think he picked up a copy maybe at a book fair. And of course, I'd signed it, and he he read it like, oh, this this is kind of cool, you know. I work with you, and so um, I gave him a copy of the book, and he read it, and he came back to me, and he said, this is really good. I I need you to write my story, and so it was, uh, you know, I I, I know a lot of ghostwriters out there when they're getting started, they don't have proof of concept, <laughs> they they don't have um, a prototype. They just say, hey, pay me a lot of money to write you a book. Have you ever written a book? Well, no. Okay, thanks. Bye. But in this case, I'd, you know, I'd written two full-length uh, uh, novels that alone would not just got me that first project, but I think probably my first maybe five to seven gigs of writing books came because people saw me as a published, a twice-published novelist. And they said, wow, this guy wrote two novels. I can't even finish my first book. Please help me out. So that was me, my, my calling card of credibility that not only could I write a book, but they're books that people actually enjoyed. I see. So how does this work when you work with someone who wants you to write a book for them? Uh, do you end up signing an NDA or something, a non-disclosure agreement of sorts? Probably 80% of my clients, I have that type of, uh, type of an arrangement with them. So yes, they're known. In fact, in fact one client, I calculated that approximately 200 million people know who he is. As in, he's he's top of mind. Like, wow, that's pretty wild. So that many people are going to be buying his book, maybe. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Uh, but in any case, about the other meaning 20% or so, either we didn't have one in, in the first place because they said, I don't care. I want to tell everyone about you. Or they released me from it and they sent me an unsolicited testimonial video or said, hey, let's do a case study. I'm so happy with how this turned out. Let's, let's tell the world about it. Because the way that a non-disclosure or confidentiality agreement works is that it protects information that does not become, or that's not public. So if the information becomes public, then it's no longer included in the non-disclosure agreement. I have several clients, both those who are very well known, as well as people who are kind of uh, uh, niche experts, but have done very well in their business. And so I have several case studies on my website breaking down exactly how I help these authors become successful, how I wrote their books, how their books turned readers into high-ticket clients, how they went from you know $10, $15 book sales to $10,000 one-on-one coaching with that, with that person multiple times. So, of course, the ROI is there. And even though these case studies aren't from, let's say, your A-list Hollywood types, the fact that they're very successful even though they're not well-known, is actually a selling point for me. Because someone who does have a platform in the millions comes to me, I share my case studies, and they say, wow, if this guy can take a nobody and make them a household name in their industry, or at least in certain households, just imagine what they can do for me. So that, that, that's that been enough. You know, even, even though most of my, my projects are covered by confidentiality, the few that aren't, I've made sure our gold standards for how I work with my clients that it's very, very attractive. And so I frankly have very little competition <laughs> as a ghostwriter. So when exactly did you transition from fiction writing to freelance ghostwriting that you're doing today? This goes back to the to 2011, 2012, right, right in that time frame, because that was when I was you know, working on my novels, getting them finished, sharing them with, with people, got the, uh, got the book deal. Um, got my first freelance writing clients, 
Um, and so it just, it all kind of unfolded at once. So I very quickly went from writing my novel, from writing my novels to ghostwriting just because it, it, it was wild. My objective to promote my novels was that I would have readers for my third and fourth novels. And then it turns out that I just, I just go with the pivot. People saying, do this for me now, please. And I had no idea that uh, that, that was going to happen. But, you know, sometimes when, when, when life rolls, you got to roll with life. And it's turned out to be very rewarding, both, both professionally and personally being a ghostwriter. Okay, so let's try and get into the meat and potatoes here. Um, you know, how does this process work? Let's say you have someone who wants to publish a book come to you. What happens next? Absolutely, absolutely. As with any successful project, we follow best practices. So in our world, we have a 10-step process that every author goes through if they want to kind of have our, our full package, our core offer, you might say. It's definitely our most popular. And it's a combination of ghostwriting and a complimentary service I've developed called ghost publishing. Now, with ghostwriting, someone's doing all the work, writing your book, you're taking all the credit. In ghost publishing, someone else is doing the work of setting up an independent publishing business right alongside your business, and you get all the royalties. It's the best of both worlds because, in my experience, nobody wants to pay the big bucks for a Word document. Okay, oh, the book's done. What is it? It's a Word document. I have no idea what to do with at this point. They want to buy from me, not a Word document, but a business. So at the end of the day, at this, the result of this 10-step this, this, uh, process is the book is available worldwide and in fact in almost 100 countries in the print edition and the digital edition as well as the audio edition of the book it's the the whole shebang as we say here in, in ohio but let's rewind it from that end result to the first step in the process the very first step of working with me i, I call it the triple r method repurpose repackage and reformat every aspiring author comes to me has something that they're starting with. That something could be a few pages of notes. It could be a sample outline. In a lot of cases, it's many hours of interviews they've given, speeches they've delivered, uh, video courses that they've produced, uh, blog posts, for example. They have a body of content, a library of work, you might say, that some of it could be repurposed, repackaged, and reformatted for their book. So we want to explore what they already have. So we, we realize that they're not starting from scratch because we don't want to you know, have them start from scratch when they don't have to. So that's the very first step is looking at what they've already produced. The second step, I call it the author uninterview. Well, uninterview, what's that? Well, as opposed to an interview, like let's say a job interview where it's, it's probing questions, it's designed to be uncomfortable and sweaty palms all around. It's an uninterview. It's fun. It's casual. It's friendly. It's free-flowing, kind of like how you and I right now are talking, Karthik. And the idea is to, to tease out those exciting stories or supporting examples or commentary from the author on maybe a relevant news study or maybe there was a, a, a public figure that's in their industry that the um, that the author has kind of some, some insider knowledge about. And so it's through these uninterviews that we elicit the full scope of the manuscript when combined with everything else we can repurpose from step one. One of the concerns I know a lot of authors have is, well, gee, I'm not writing my book, but if I'm talking to someone, aren't these interviews going to take forever? Well, no. All you need is an hour a week for a couple of months. And that is what gets us all the content we need for the book. In some cases, we go three or four months, but it can be actually pretty short to get everything that we need for the uh, for the first draft. All right, so you now have all this content, but how do you go about figuring out what goes where? You know, you, you might have got to learn something from your client maybe in the last minute. W would it go into the introduction or chapter three or chapter 10? How do you go about figuring that out? We answer all those questions in step three, the marketable book outline. I see. So what is a marketable book outline? Why not just book outline or book structure? Well, the last thing you want to do is write a book no one wants to read. Or worse, a book people have already read. So what you do, uh, and you can actually get all the details on this. I, I wrote an ultimate guide on writing a marketable book for Founder Magazine. And it's free and available online. But I'm going to give you kind of the quick and juicy details right here and now. 
what you do to make sure you're writing a book people want to read. You have a book category. Let's say you're writing a book on web marketing. Okay, there's like 50,000 other books on web marketing that are out there that are published and that are being read and reviewed. So what you do is you go over to Amazon, go to the bestsellers of web marketing books, and pick, let's say, the top four, right? Because we want to do this quickly, not uh, not waste any time. So let's pick the top four best-selling books. Go to the neutral reviews, not the hater one-star reviews or the fanboy, fangirl five-star reviews, but look at those two, three, and four-star reviews. Those are going to give you more considered perspectives. People are going to say things like, I was really excited to read this book because the back cover said I was going to learn about copywriting. So I go in, I'm, you know, and I get a really good paragraph on copywriting. And that was it. I was expecting a chapter on copywriting. Where's the chapter? I wanted formulas. I wanted the step-by-step process. You'll see, let's say 20 people all say a version of that. I bought this book to learn copywriting because it said so on the back. And yet I get a paragraph. I want formulas and step-by-step processes. So what we do is my team, we combine, we compile this vast body of research on these uh, on these customer reviews my clients future readers we find what they wanted from the book that they've been buying that they haven't gotten we also find out what they've been getting in books that they're tired of reading so you know there'll be everything's like wow i wish someone would just give me something new i felt like this is regurgitated tony robbins so okay like okay let's make sure that we avoid you know a topic that people have that's been that's been uh, uh written and done many times before so that process shapes the structure, it shapes the outline, it shapes what stories get included, what stories go where, and it also fills in the gaps because the reviews from our clients' future readers, it lets them know what else they should write about that maybe they hadn't considered. If we see 50 reviews all saying, I bought the book for reason X, and the author says, wow, I hadn't even thought about talking about topic X, we did a chapter in there, then that pushes us even closer to producing a marketable, profitable book. I see. So that's step three. So what's step four? The fourth step is where we go one chapter at a time. Now, I know there's a lot of a lot of writers out there. They prefer to kind of churn out the whole manuscript in one fell swoop. We prefer to do it kind of collaboratively so authors feel like they're really involved in the process without having to pour hours and hours every day or even every week into this. So what we do is we go one chapter at a time we produce the first draft, send it over to the author for comments. That process can be anywhere from you know a couple of minutes. They give it a quick read, like, "Wow, this is great, perfect. I don't want to change a thing. Just you know, just add this one sentence to close it out, and I'm good to go." Other people they like to have that creative outlet, so they'll kind of mark it up with some comments and they'll have some ideas, and that's totally fine. But the idea is that every chapter, every book we produce is in the voice of the author, meaning that it feels like they wrote it. All right, I'd like to stop you right there. I have a quick announcement to make. Hey, if you're an entrepreneur or an author and you wanted to start a podcast but have been iffy about doing it because you fear no one will listen to your show or even worse, if your show will just not stand out, I have something that you might just be interested in. It's the Picasso Podcast Blueprint mini course. The course is designed to help you craft your signature podcast that's unique, engaging, and profitable in less than 72 hours. It's a condensed version of what I do with my customers and clients when they hire me as a creative producer or a strategist for commissioning their podcasts. If you're interested to know more, please head over to designyourthinking.com join and jump onto the waitlist to know when it's open for enrollment. All right, let's jump right back into the interview. So Joshua, before we took the ad break here, uh, you were talking about understanding the voice of your client. How do you really manage to do it? Because I suspect it's not going to be easy for someone to even write a simple email on someone else's behalf in their voice. Absolutely. And you're right to be skeptical. I I say probably about half of my clients, I'm not the first ghostwriter that they've talked to. Or editor. They've, they've come to me because they said, Joshua, I was working with this other person and they edited out my voice. Sure, it was good. There were no typos. It was it was readable. But I couldn't put it out there into the world. Somebody else wrote it and everyone else is going to know it. I'm going to feel like a fraud. So no one wants to feel like a fraud. So how we do it is we combine the art of ghostwriting with the science of stylometry. I have, I think, about a seven-minute video where I go into 
all the ways that we pull the, the data science of silometry into the ghostwriting process. So I think of ghostwriting as acting in print, where it's my job to portray an author as kind of a character on the page. But we go deeper than that. We use a software-driven process to analyze an author's voice. So in, in this, the world of stylometry, what are we looking for? We're looking at the ratio of passive to active voice. What, are, what does the use of adverbs look like? Where do they put prepositions in a sentence? Do they put it at the middle? Do they put it at the beginning, the end? Are there certain terms of the phrase that they always use? Are there certain types of metaphors that they give? Do they use visual or auditory or kinesthetic type of language and verbs? Like we get mega detail then to the point where we nail an author's voice. And again, they get, they, they, they'll share the first draft with their spouse and they'll say, wow, this is amazing. I don't know how you did all that in 10 minutes. <laughs> of course, it, it sounds like uh, sounds like this. So, ghostwriting is more writing well, which which is a skill. I, and I don't want to denigrate any freelance writer who can write well on behalf of their clients. But ghostwriting is, is truly the top tip of the of the industry of professional writing because it's writing in the voice of someone else to the point that they can't even tell they hired a ghostwriter. Wow, that must be a lot of work. And on the other side, it must be quite expensive. Uh, affair to hire a ghostwriter for someone who wants to write a book. Expensive is always is always relative to the to the results that you're expecting to produce. And I want everyone going into this process anticipating return on investment because I do have a considerable track record of people who've made an extraordinary profit on this on this process. And of course, it's all the the ten steps that ultimately get us there. Now, for authors who they they have that big budget. I like to think of it as imagine you're you know imagine you're hiring a full time online business manager for a year. That's probably about what the what the results going to be. Kind of the the pricing depending on length of the book, other pieces they may want. Do they want a free plus shipping funnel, for example, on top of what we have? You know, where they're generating leads for free from Facebook ads, for example, on top of selling the book worldwide. That's that's additional. Um, but you know, in terms of in terms of the budget, imagine you're hiring a full-time uh, online business manager for a year. Except, of course, you're actually able to use this book to get deals, to open doors for you for the rest of your career. Quite frankly, now we do have a level where authors can come work with us. It's a kind of a done with you process where, yes, it's think of it as kind of guided authoring. You might say like this guided meditation, right? Well, there's guided authorship. <laughs> and that's one of the things we offer to authors who maybe have smaller budgets, but they really, really want the oversight of an experienced professional ghostwriter. So that starts only at US 1,500 a month. And that looks like us meeting on the regular. Maybe you're, you're brainstorming your first draft. You're coming up with ideas for a chapter. And then when we get together, I'm live editing and even ghostwriting right in front of you. You know, with your approval, it's a collaborative, fun process where the end result is that professional quality. But of course, you know, you're you're still able to do some of the work. You have that creative outlet of getting to do some of the writing yourself. And of course, there's always the opportunity to upgrade to, you know, maybe we've done the first couple of chapters of like, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. Let's just have you take it from here. I have one author, she did exactly that. But I do have several other people that they're really enjoying this this process where it's kind of done with you slash do it yourself, but of course the, the quality of the final product is the same, but at a at a discounted rate. So you are now a certified ghostwriter, going surely by the number of books that you've written, you're probably making a lot of money. How how does it really feel to be doing all of this, and uh, what really keeps you coming back and showing up every single day at work? It feels very good because I have a purpose behind the profit, you might say. Of course, I have a, I have a, I have a young little family. I have a, a wife who I was able to retire from her career to join me in this business. She does a lot of operations and administration work. So we have a truly family business now, getting to work together, getting to raise our son alongside one another, our, our little 15-month-old boy named Wesley, uh, the 13th grandson of the great Native American chief. <laughs> we'll circle it right back. So I get to be the, the the present father in my in my home with my with my family, and that's enjoyable. And of course, what we're doing is we're we're rolling a lot of the profits into real estate investment activities to create passive income for the family. And so, what our kind of track is is ultimately to replace all of our annual expenses, or rather, pay for all of our annual expenses as a family 
um, through passive profit from real estate investing alone. And the next week, I'm actually going to be closing on a couple more properties. I pay it all in cash, so it's all it's all upside here. Um, my 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 father was a prolific real estate investor, so I learned a few things from from him. So it's it's very cool because it's more than just oh look at all the money we're making, ha ha ha, this is nice. But more so, it's there's opportunities that I really want, which is to be a family businessman, um, working out of a couple of home offices, having clients all around the world, having more business than we know what to do with, and of course rolling the upside into uh, a new activity to produce that truly residual income. And so I'm, I've now taken on the process of teaching freelance writers and aspiring ghostwriters to follow in this path to become a big money ghostwriter. You know, you've spoken about your grandfather or your son. You talked about uh, focusing on generating passive income to spend more time with your family. Is there a kind of work that you always wanted to do that you haven't had a chance to work on so far, Joshua? That is, that is a great question, actually. And if you'd asked me that a year ago, I would have said it would be real estate investing. Um, I, I started my latest real estate investing business a year ago. And um, so I, a year ago, it, it would be that. But uh, I'm, I'm doing it now and very much enjoying myself. I do believe I will go return to fiction at some point. Um, you know, being in nonfiction for a while, uh, doing, a, a, you know, conver- having conversations with Folks such as you, Karth, they could make me think, wow, they, you know, those albums were pretty good. <laughs> I really enjoyed myself writing those. Uh, but, but for now, those are, uh, those are back to being kind of a long-term plan uh, for me. So one day I, I will indeed return to, uh, to fiction. But funny enough, I have ghostwritten two novels as part, of, as part of my collection. And of course, now these, these were business fables. So think about books like Who Moved My Cheese, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. These are these are novels that communicate timeless business principles, and so I've written a couple of books like that that have, that have sold really really well for their authors, um, just because people love a good story where they get to take something away and apply it to their own lives. So I have been able to kind of scratch that itch, so to speak, but doing so for someone else. What does your definition of success look like? My success is being able to spend my time as I please. So beyond in terms of, oh, having this amount of money, you're making this much money, blah, 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 blah. Like that's, that's not as important to me. It's, money is a means to an end. Business success is a means to an end. My business model, ghostwriting for me is a, is a means to an end. I know that if I take care of my authors and make them a heck of a lot more than they paid me, they will send me everyone they know. And they do. <laughs> now, on the other end, spending my time as I want, I want to spend time with my wife. I want to spend time with my son on our schedule, not having to do that commute where I'm getting up and being away from my family for 10, 12 hours in a large city like a lot of, like a lot of young men in my, uh, my age have to do. So being able to spend my time as I please has definitely been the, the great version of success. And it's, of course, in part, well, not in part, in total, because of the success we create for our authors. You know, you're... Business is inherently built on trust. Your clients need to trust you before giving you the keys to their future, so to speak. How do you really build that trust so your clients can trust you in return uh, with their life's work? Yes, there's a couple of different ways. So the first way that I build trust with my future authors is number one. I do an outstanding job delivering and getting results and making it a profitable experience for the authors we have now. And that, of course, ends up in them referring their colleagues, their mentors, their clients to us. And so that, that trust is there because either they've shared with their, their friend in private, uh, you know, outside of the public eye, what I've been able to do for them. Or they've sent me an unsolicited testimonial video like, hey, Joshua, because of your book, I've, I've made a million dollars in the last 12 months. You know, the book that you wrote for me would not have happened without you. Thanks. You think I don't share that video every chance that I get? <laughs> when an author shoots a video for me like that, like, yeah, that, that's some serious trust building right there. Another way that I build trust with prospects who haven't, let's say, um, haven't been referred to me, is I look at some of the top questions that people are asking around writing, publishing, and profiting from books, and I produce anywhere from a three to a 10-minute video 
on that topic, as well as an article. So I have about, uh, I think, getting close to 100 videos on my YouTube channel that are all topics that I know aspiring authors are searching that they maybe haven't gotten the best answers for. And I tend to do very well in terms of ranking for these keywords, you know, the, the top one, two, three spots, uh, which is really where you want to be for any, any search result on Google or on YouTube, and especially YouTube. And so I have quite a few prospects come to me from one of my YouTube videos, and they say, hey, I binged your channel for a while, and I think I need you to write my book. So that, that trust is there because of education, where I'm, I'm demonstrating my credibility in the video. I'm connecting my expertise to what it is that they want from a book. I'm giving a compelling message by explaining in simple terms why they want to write this book th this way rather than that way, why you want to shape your book idea this way rather than that way. I go a little counter industry. I'm, I, I can be controversial and kind of call out some bad ideas in my industry as things that you should avoid. I give a simple call to action, one being if you want to know how much you can expect to make as a return on investing in this process, I have a book revenue calculator on my website. If it doesn't make sense to work with me, that will tell you, and that, and I'm okay with that. So I have a, quite a, a kind of call to action. And then, of course, I get circulation, which means I'm regularly sharing my videos on the regular, they're getting retweeted, they're getting shared on LinkedIn, for example, they're getting liked, and so they're, they're kind of spreading out there into the world. So I'm sure to make sure to uh, share my content on a regular basis, and then if I have a couple of videos that are really useful, I will share those with, with new prospects before we hop on a call. So there's one, for example, it's called Watch Me Ghostwrite. And so it's actually a sample of me working on the opening of a chapter for one of my clients, and I show how I take their like the, a transcript of our conversation and make it something that is powerful and persuasive. And I do that right in front of you. And of course, I send that to everyone who ends up talking to me. And I also noticed that you don't ask people for their email addresses when they get those uh, tools that you talked about on your website. Right, right. So as opposed to a lot of the advice that's out there about building an online business, got to have email address, got to get email addresses. Well, I frankly don't need them because if you're coming to my website, one reason or another, you're searching for what I do. You've already realized I need a book. I don't want to do it myself. So you're in a state of mind where you're, you're kind of at the beginning of no, right? You know, no like and trust there. So like, okay, I just need them to get to, to know me a little bit and like me. And by not necessarily saying, hey, to use my free tools, you've got to give me your email address. Yes, I do have a, a training uh, that's basically whether or not your business is ready for you to write a book. Like, you, are you in the right state of mind? Is your business ready for you to write a book? I have a training, and so I do get I do get email subscribers from anyone who gets on that. And then I have additional trainings that um, I send exclusively to my subscribers. Now, and I have a couple of those who've converted into to authors and as, as clients. But for me, I just I, I frankly I don't need that step because. Just last week, I had someone go to my my, uh, my YouTube uh, my YouTube channel. They saw one of my videos. They went to the description of the YouTube video and booked a call with me, and they're going to become a client. So no no email uh, no email subscribing necessary. So uh, speaking of trust and brand building, a, a, a book is an instrument that many use for uh, building trust and authority, but for uh, but not everyone listening to this right now is perhaps thinking of hiring a ghostwriter. Perhaps they are too early in their business to spend that kind of money on hiring someone. Uh, based on your experience, Joshua, so far writing books for celebrities, how would you suggest these people who are thinking that way approach their first book? Yes, yes. As opposed to a lot of what uh, I know what some concerns are first-time authors, you know, if I if I shoot too much, I want to have enough for a second book. If I give away the farm, as we say here in Ohio, in the Midwest U.S., well, then people won't have a reason to work with me. Ah, that's exactly why you want to put everything you possibly could into this first book. I, I find that, especially with first books, there's a tendency to under-deliver, and so the chance of a second book is, is not going to be there. So imagine you want to overwhelm your readers with goodies. With, with useful tips and, and processes. Now, of course, put everything in the right order. Don't just kind of you know, just throw it all in there into a scrambled process. But imagine you're taking people on a grand journey. They are the hero. 
they're Luke Skywalker, you're Obi-Wan Kenobi, to borrow a Star Wars reference, right? And it's your job to teach him as much as possible about using your process, your method, your approach. So leave nothing held back. Do not censor yourself. Do not uh, uh, imagine like, okay, well, no one wants to hear that. Use as many of your case studies and testimonials and client examples as possible. You want people feeling, again, a little bit overwhelmed from all the material that you've shared so that halfway through the book, three quarters of the way through the book, at the end of the book, they say, well, I just need to get on this person's email list and hire this person to work with me. Uh, and one of the ways that you can do that is by having free content upgrades that tag along with the book. So for example, one web marketing author that I worked with, we have a chapter on how to build a funnel. And we give every formula, every template, every step-by-step -step process to build everything in that chapter to the point that you feel a little overwhelmed. Not, not by there being too little information, like how do I do this, what do I do, what's the step, where do I go? But you're like, wow, there's a lot here. So the, our free content upgrade in that chapter is go download our free funnel template through our ClickFunnels platform or our ClickFunnels profile, download it, put it up in yours so you don't have to write any of the copy, design any of it, write any of the code. It's free and ready to go. And so you had the, the reader thinking, wow, I have to do all this myself. It's good. Don't get me wrong. I want to do it this way. This is the right way to do it, but it's going to be a lot. And then they get to the end of the chapter and you say you'll do it all for them. All I have to do is go, and this is where it's okay to give your email address, right? Yeah. To get all the content upgrades. You give one link, you have beautiful content upgrades throughout the book, and then just say, wow, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's time. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to go get on their email list. And so that's what you want. That's the experience you want to create for your authors. I, I had one author a few years ago where you can, you can look at some of the statistics on how people are like, uh, uh, acting inside of your Kindle ebook. So what quotes are they always highlighting? What are the top highlighted quotes? How much are people reading, for example? And we found that a lot of readers of the ebook were quitting the book halfway. And then they were showing up in one of the author's courses. They were you know, going straight from the book to, to buying our courses. It's like to go have her do it for them and teach them the, the specific tips and give them the actual templates and whatnot. Of course, they were getting into the funnel first, but ultimately the upsell was there without having to be salesy and spammy and write an advertisement pretending it's a book. Would you like to share with my listeners the mistakes that you've seen some of these new first-time authors make? Uh, yes, actually. I had, I had one example yesterday. Um, one of my, my authors, she shared with, uh, with me a, a book from a friend of hers that, that they wanted to kind of go their own, their own route. And first of all, the book was half as long as it needed to be. So it was kind of like a booklet that no one really wanted to pay for. The book had an average 2.2-star rating on Amazon, you know, the opposite of word of mouth. It's like anti-persuasive to, to buy that book, right? So the first thing is that it was about half as long as it needed to be. And every other page mentioned the author's program that you needed to go buy. It's like, no, that's, that's kind of an extreme of how, of how not to do this. <laughs> so, that's, so, so underwriting and advertising, that's one way to do it wrong. Another way that's unfortunately all too common, even for accomplished writers, people who maybe have, they write their own copy, they write their own emails, for example, they write their own blogs, is overwriting, where you're talking about something and you're not sure if you're saying what you need to say. So you tell the author, tell, you tell the reader what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. It's unbelievably muddy to get through when an author writes like that. Um, and that's, that's often one of the things I'm doing with that done with you, done for you, kind of a, that co-writing plan I told you about, where an author will send with me, hey, here's the first draft of the, the first chapter, I threw together, what do you think? And you know, I'm reading through it with them, and I say, okay, what's the point you want to get across here in this, in this first paragraph? And they'll reply, and there'll be a couple of sentences, and then I'll say, why don't you just say that? And then we read the paragraph that's, you know, 500 words. And then they're like, yeah, that can be two sentences. Gets it across exactly. So now that frees you up to go deeper, not wider, but deeper into the other topics that you want to discuss. So overwriting is the opposite problem I see with a lot of debut authors is they're, you know, they're, they're not sure what all they should say to get the point across. They're worried that the reader won't get it. 
So they, they try to say everything, you know, look at it from every angle, explain it from every angle. It just doesn't work because you end up saying too much. And I'm like, oh my Lord, just get to the point. Um, when it comes to publishing, what are the timelines one should be looking at uh, if they are on the verge of deciding to write a book in the first place? Yes, yes. So it, let's say if they're working with someone like me, the, the plan can be anywhere from five to 15 months, depending on what their timeline looks like and how much material they already have. If the longer timelines are more appropriate for authors, like they already have several product launches lined up for like the next couple of quarters. They have a big conference coming up they're going to be speaking at. They want to be making progress. But you know they want to make sure that they have a good three to six months inside of their business to promote every product and program and service with the book involved. So it's better to have six months of promotion for your book after it's already done and ready to go before it comes out than six days of promotion. Let's, let's say I'm listening to you right now and I'm getting pretty serious about this and I'm probably wondering about the marketing and promotion and all of that as well. Are there some tips that you have for me to consider when it comes to promoting and marketing my book? One of the ways to get people to actually buy the book, not just think, oh, the book's coming out. Cool. You want to create an urgency-based offer around your book. Think of it as, this is, this is separate from the content upgrade. It's a bonus. It goes like this. This is, this is an example. My book's coming out. If you buy it within 48 hours of the release, forward your confirmation email to me, your purchase confirmation email to me, and I will send you the free audiobook, and you will get access to an exclusive webinar question and answer live with me, the author, a week from the date of publication. Ask me any question. I will answer it live on the call. It's only available to you if you buy the book within 48 hours of release. That alone, that exclusive one-on-one -on -one access to you, the author, along with getting the audiobook edition, which is the preferred, uh, the preferred uh, medium or preferred format for a lot of readers nowadays, uh, upwards of half of best-selling books, it's the audio edition, not the printed edition, the digital edition, it's the audio edition that people want. Um, so that's an example of how to get people to buy the book now rather than wait. And there's other things you can do besides the free audiobook and the free webinar with you. You can give away one of your, your maybe your smaller courses. If you have an ebook you've created before, you can give that away. If you have step-by-step -step ultimate guides, for example, you can share those. But just the point is that you have to offer something for free. You know, maybe $1,500 worth of value that if you buy this paperback for 15 bucks, you'll get it, but you have to do it within 48 hours of release. And that's how we get so many authors to number one in even hyper-competitive categories where there are celebrities and famous authors who are selling Buku copies, like Gary Vaynerchuk. How many authors have I outsold, have I outsold Gary Vaynerchuk? But that's probably because Gary V has a, a, a really huge email list. Could be, could be. But when you are having a lot of, a lot of readers who are all buying the book at once, uh, that can really rocket you up the rankings. And if you're there for days, or maybe you know, the first few days of release, people all want to get the bonus, keep taking screenshots of your book outranking celebrities, outranking best-selling books, outranking the books everyone reads. I have one author. She she told me that she, um, she sold double what her ideal goal was for book sales after she took screenshots of her book as a bestseller and just posting them on Instagram and doing live Instagrams and, and Facebook lives, um, you're talking about how her book was selling better than these other books everyone's read. And so that social proof alone, they're like, well, I don't want to miss the boat here. Everyone's buying this book. I want to go check hers out, this new debut author. So you can do that as well to, to encourage book sales. Well, quickly uh, switching to topics here. Uh, what are some of the habits and routines or systems that uh, keep you um, sane and focused uh, to keep showing up every single day and doing all of this wonderful work that you're doing. Yes, yes. So interestingly enough, um, I, I want to recommend someone who's recommended me. Actually, um, the, the, the individual, uh, one of one of the kind of my my fans, you might say, is a multiple time best selling uh, New York Times best selling author named Scott Adams. He's the creator of the Dilbert comic series. He did a podcast. He interviewed me, and he said, "Hey, if you want to write a book, you have to go talk to Joshua. He knows what he's doing." So I, I very much enjoy his recommendation as, uh, you know, as kind of a celebrity and very well-known public figure. I want to recommend one of his tips, actually, 
which is systems, not goals. A goal is something like have time off. A goal is like get healthy, spend time with family, not go crazy, <laughs> right? Those are not really going to get you there. But if you have a system that has multiple components, multiple pieces that you repeat, you iterate, that's what works for me. So systems for managing my health include my family, we're, we're vegan. What does that mean? That means we're getting a heck of a lot more nutrition than the standard American diet produces. We're getting a lot more vegetables, a lot more color on our plates. All the colors of the rainbow in one email or one um, one meal, for example. We have you know the power packed, protein packed uh, green smoothies, which we make the night before. That's a simple system. I drink black coffee every morning for for get that quick energy boost. I also intermittently fast, which you know keeps me hungry a lot. And when you feel hungry physically. You feel hungry psychologically. When you feel hungry psychologically, you feel hungry in your career. So it's a way to not get complacent, frankly, feeling hungry all the time. You know, and that that moves into my work where I'm hungry for the next deal, the next author, the next win, the next case study, the next success story. And so it, it literally works to keep me energized and focused and ready to go for that next interview, that next client. So those are examples of my energy maintenance systems. Another one is rising very early in the, the morning and getting up well before dawn, starting the workday, so that you know, my, as the wife and baby sleep in, I'm doing some of the tough, intensive, creative work. Um, and then you know, she comes in later in the morning and, and works while I take take Wesley on a walk, for example. I get to have some quality uh, Papa and Wesley time. Um, you know, another system is we don't work on on Sunday, so we have like a complete uh, a Sabbath or a rest day. Um, we're you know, completely off from work and we can focus on other other things like real estate deals, <laughs> for example. And then, of course, the system for passive income is to not just you know, put money in a 401k or whatever, but to purchase assets in cash that will produce quickly, have someone manage the properties, all that good stuff. So for, for me, what really, really works to keep the success going and flowing is systems, not goals. If you were me sitting here having this conversation, and what is that one question that you would ask that I did not ask you so far, Joshua? Yes, yes. That would actually be about how to get a TEDx talk. So that's that's one of the things that I, I end up getting a, a lot of questions about is, is authors come to me and they say, hey, I don't just want to be an author. I want to be a speaker, and I want to use my book to get speaking gigs. I want to publish this book. I want you to help me write it, but I also want you to help me get a, a TEDx talk. So I've ghostwritten TEDx speeches and, and, and worked with TEDx speakers who also have a book that's, that's come out or that is coming out. And the thing about that any TED or TEDx platform that's somewhat different from a typical keynote or a speech, and this, this is how I, I've got mine, this is how I help other people get theirs, it's a very simple thing. Why are you the right person to give this talk right now? So that's the one question that... I, I would I would leave with everyone who who wants to get a platform, and this is true not just for TED or TEDx, but any speaking platform that you know you want to kind of move along forward with, maybe alongside a book, is your credibility. So why are, why are you the person to give this speech? So why you of all people? And then in conjunction with that, why is why are you the right person to talk about this right now? So have there been recent headlines, statistics? Are there trends that are coming out? It, it, do you sense the future going in a direction and you say, hey, here's something we, we need to be aware of coming out recently. For example, in my TEDx talk, I talked about the disastrous student loan crisis in, in the Western world where we've got trillions of dollars of unpaid student loan debt. My generation, we've been graduating from colleges and universities, can't get jobs, can't have families, can't have lives still living in mom and dad's basement. Uh, and of course, I entertainingly shared some of the, uh, the the horrors of being a millennial nowadays. And so it's it's a very urgent topic. People need to know about this now. Why am I the person to talk about that? Because I bucked the trend. I broke free and became a successful solopreneur, putting my skills to use outside the college to corporate system. And that was Joshua Lysak. He is a certified professional ghostwriter. 
He's written over 80 books and he has some of the biggest names in the industry who have given him uh, testimonials and people like Scott Adams. He's uh, also done a TEDx talk that you can take a look at. I'll have all the links to his website, which is uh, the Entrepreneur's Wordspeth. Uh, and I'll also have a link to his TEDx talk and all of the fun stuff that you can access on his website, all the tools and all of that in the show notes, which you can access at designyourthinking.com slash S2E45. That's season two, episode 45. And if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, do consider subscribing to the show on no matter what platform you listen to podcasts on your favorite app. Just head over to designyourthinking.com slash Stitcher or slash Spotify or slash iTunes and it will take you to the podcast on your favorite app. Just head over there, subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review if you can. I would be super proud if you could leave your social media handle right there so I can come and thank you in person. And if you're active on Facebook, do like our page. Go to designyourthinking.com slash Facebook or facebook.com slash designyourthinking and that will take you right to our page. Like our page and stay up to date with all the updates we have and all the live streams that we do. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode and until I see you with the next episode, go and follow me at Kartwe on Instagram and Twitter and I look forward to taking this conversation into the DMs. Again, thank you so much for uh, listening to the show. Until I see you with the next episode, ciao and take care, my friend.